Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Tristan Merlihan, the director of Top Sport. Tristan, thanks for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Tristan Merlihan, the director of Top Sport. Tristan, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having us. So the many Aussies will know we're about to talk about bookmaking. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience and, and background in this industry and how Top Sport came to be. Yeah, well, Top Sport's uh, probably one of the fewer 100% Australian-owned businesses left in on, on our side of the world. Um, we're a family-owned business and we've been operating in the bookmaking side of things for over 30 years. Dad was actually a bookmaker on course for for a long period of time, dating back over 30 years ago, where he was probably the biggest bookmaker in Queensland. Um, and and he, he, he was synonymous with the Magic Millions, carnivals, and, 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 uh, and, and then we, we sort of, um, he, he was trying to grow the business, but the issues he had was that back in the day, uh, he was only able to take bets whilst he was on course, obviously, and the Gold Coast betting ring really only offered uh, a service on Saturday and occasionally during the midweek. So it was difficult for him to retain his clients, especially as the internet boom started to happen. So basically, Dad was also one of the first bookmakers to offer sports betting um, in the country. And it was very difficult, as, as you can imagine, to, to only be able to offer a service one day a week. So basically, I, I worked for him part-time when I was at school. And then when I, I turned 18, I got my licence. And I, I'm probably still one of the youngest bookmakers to ever get a licence in Australia. And I set up down in New South Wales, and that just gave, an, gave us an extra outlet to still work on course, where I worked on Saturday down at Border Park, and Dad worked at Saturday at the Gold Coast, and then we both operated together on Wednesday. This just gave us an extra outlet for the clients to, to have a bet with us, and more importantly, it sort of allowed us to release our lines for the footy on the Wednesday. Um, we probably weren't the sharpest bookmakers back then. We really didn't have the greatest idea about sports betting, and so I'm sure a lot of punters realise now that taking big bets days out from the game isn't really the smartest way to go about things, but that was really the only alternative we had. So we'd ring up all of our big clients on the Wednesday at 10am, give them our lines. This was well before the days of the SMSs and the, you know, the emails and all that. And bearing in mind these 10 or 15 clients we used to ring were probably the sharpest punters in the country. And we'd ring them, we'd offer the lines, and we'd go back and work on the races. Then we had to shut up shop at five. When the race is finished, we'd get a call at four. Are you still... Penrith minus four and a half for Friday's game. And yeah, of course we are. Well, can I have 20,000 on it? Yeah, no problem. We just wanted to get a bit of action. And then uh, we get home and realise Joey Johns has pulled out of the game for the Panthers and <laughs> uh, for the Knights, should I say. And the, uh, the lines moved quite drastically against us. This happened a lot on Saturday. Dad would roll up to the races on Saturday morning with his AFL lines. And two minutes before the game, someone's done the hammy in 
in warm-up and we're still betting the same line. So as I'm sure you can understand that we weren't overly successful in our first foray into sports betting. Um, but when I was at uni at, at this time, I sort of saw how popular the the you know amongst the general public online betting was you know people would be sitting in lectures they'd be betting away on the basketball or the racing and and I, I said to dad look we need to look at taking this online like we've got a great business but there's so much opportunity out there and that was when top Sport was founded uh which was about 15 years ago and we were because we're licensed in new south wales we weren't able to offer as many uh products and offering as what the bookies in the northern territory were able to which is where the bulk of the the larger bookmakers still are established, but we sort of started more on a low, uh, low offering basis just to give our regular clients a, an outlet. So we'd only bet on the NRL, the AFL, the Super Rugby, and then you know, occasionally an Australian cricket match or the Socceroos when they played. We weren't even able to bet on racing on a day-to-day basis online. We were only allowed to offer uh, group racing and fixed racing. So Dad still handled it all from the racetrack, and then I handled a little bit in the office, but at least we were able to sort of bet on sport or, or the main sport at that point. Um, the big turning point for us came was that we eventually were, the, the legislation opened up and we were allowed to, to bet on more of the races, but we were still unable to bet best totes. So we were at such a significant disadvantage uh, to the other bookmakers where a client would ring up and they'd say, what price are you? And we'd be over $6. You know, the totes are paying seven seven fifty, and they wanted to back at best tote and we just weren't allowed to do it. And they'd be forced to take either the $6 or they'd go and bet it you know, the sports better, one of the Northern Territory places, and you'd only ever hear from them if the totes paid significantly over our price. You never hear from them if it, if it paid unders, obviously. But eventually it took about two or three years of lobbying that, and once we got the ability to bet totes approved like everyone else, it put us on that level playing field, which which really pushed us into that next level, and it allowed us to grow both our products, our, our staff base, our client base, and it really gave us that opportunity to get to sort of where we are now, where although we're a niche bookmaker, where you know, we're, we're at least competitive with, with the big guys on the, the core range of products. So what were some of the foundations that the business was built on? It sounds like it progressed through a number of different eras with, you know, all on course, some, some phone stuff and limited offerings all the way to now. Are there a few things that stand out that, that you want to differentiate yourself from the competition with? Yeah, well, I, I guess for us, we, we've always had that mindset of, you know, we want to be fair. Like, we're never, ever going to... You know, make a statement. We're going to take every bet off everyone. You know, like some people have tried that, and you know, it always gets. Um, you know, it just never happens. But I think we've got a reputation in the Australian marketplace. Where we're fair. We've never ever closed an account for profitability reasons. You know, people, the biggest, the smartest punters in the in the world, all bet with us, and that's something we're really proud of. You know, like we're we're very happy to service the professional clients. It obviously means we've got lower margins, but I think that's sort of come from the fact that. We have come from that on-course background where potentially a number of the newer bookmakers haven't had to go through those paces. Like, the thing I always sort of find bizarre is that there can be a, a price offered on a board or on a website and only a certain group of clients are allowed to, to take it. Uh, whereas, you know, from our background, if, if we've got a, if we were standing up on course and we had a horse at $6 and someone comes up wanting $200 on it at $6 and you're like, oh, no, no, um, that price isn't available to you. It's only available to those five blokes standing over there by the bar. You, know, you just can't can't do that. And but now I think the way the industry is growing, because there's so much of it's just online, there's call centres. The person making the decision doesn't have to interact with the the person having the bet. There's a lot less accountability, I think. And that's something I always say say to our guys: when you make a decision, you've got to be able to 
back up that decision. And if, if the client rings up and they speak to you, you've got to explain to them why you didn't take the full bet, why you may have rejected the bet, why you've taken the bet. And at least if you can go through that process yourself, then you're never going to get any arguments from the client. They're going to walk away happy or they're going to understand the rationale behind it. So that's something we try to, um, you know, live by and and you know we're we know we're not perfect but by the same token i i think if, if you you know see the feedback we get on twitter that we, we bet aggressive market uh, market prices and we take probably the biggest bets in the marketplace certainly comparative to our size anyway interesting let me throw a theoretical scenario at you let's say I told you you must turn into a typical corporate bookmaker, which many people will bet with and be aware of. Do you think mm-hmm. it's a, a difficult thing for you to do being a family-owned business, being you know 100% Australian-owned and you know being having a face attached to it and a name attached to it as opposed to some of these corporate goliaths that have shareholders and are publicly traded and are global entities? Uh, well, we'd be able to turn it to that, but it certainly wouldn't be something we'd want to do. Um, you know, like for us, we can do a number of, a hell of a lot of different things that would increase our margin, increase our profitability. But at the end of the day, as you say, we've got our face attached to it. We've built this business from the ground up and we're proud of it. So I'm never, ever going to turn Top Sport into a company where we really heavily restrict clients. We close accounts. It's just something we're never going to do. We've had many, many opportunities to do so. Um, and... We've always, you know, re- remained solid with our values, and um, and yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's it, 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 it's just a little bit of a differentiation in our in our business to the rest of the market, and, and it works for us as well. But it's it's also something that that I, I just think it's more of a a family type sort of sense, as you sort of say, that as opposed to anything else. No, absolutely. And one quick general question for you, which I hear a lot of discussion about, and I'll just throw it out there and let you weigh in however you want. Bookmakers setting, let's say it's two-sided spread or a line on a footy, whatever footy match or whatever it might be. Are you doing that to get equal action and equal bets on both sides or are you trying to shade and, and pick a side essentially where it will be more profitable on that side? Uh, I think it's a case-by-case basis, to be honest. Like I, I think when you initially set the market, you probably set it in an ideal world where you're going to set your market at 104%, which is you know the equivalent of $1.92 both sides. Um, and you're hoping that you're going to get an equal amount of money on both sides, but the amount of times that actually happens is is very very slim. Um, the reasoning is if we go a dollar ninety two both teams, um, someone else in the marketplace might be a dollar ninety five team A, and someone else might be a dollar ninety five team B. So, you know, there's so much uh, competition out there in the marketplace now that if a punter's switched on and if they're any way price sensitive, and and I think that most punters these days have multiple accounts, or any successful punter certainly does. So they're not going to take a $1.92 off us if a $1.95 off, off it somewhere else. So you can't just take a bet and say, I want to try to lay the other side and balance the book out. Because if you take a bet at $1.92, then you're going to have to push the price uh, to a higher price to be able to do it. So it diminishes your mar- margin. So the way we sort of operate is that when we take a bet, it's very much a case-by-case basis. A lot of variables come into the decision, A, how much we're going to take, what we do with moving the price after the bets come through, you know, and, and there's a lot of re, uh, factors that come into it, whether it's the time the bet was placed, you know, the, if, if the, the clients had the bet, if it's a normal type bet for them, all those sort of things. So basically it comes down to where our price is positioned in the marketplace. So generally we, we'll always take liability. We'll always take a liability and have a stand on, on every event we, we get involved with and then it depends on the quality of the event as to 
how big that stand might be. Like when the Masters were on just recently, uh, we, we guaranteed we'd lose 100000 to any client that placed a bet. It didn't matter who you were. And we obviously had some quite big liabilities on that event. Now, we're not going to do the same sort of stands for you know, your, your, your secondary AFL leagues and that sort of thing. So it's all dependent on the game, the league, the members and all that sort of stuff too. So um, the other thing we do, which I think is a lot different to the rest of the marketplace, is that we do have a lot of that sharp sort of action that comes through to us. So if we take a bet off a sharp client, we'll still try to bet them a fair figure um, to keep them satisfied. But they're basically telling us that they don't feel the market price is accurate. They feel that even though we're 190 and you know the bulk of the bookies are also 190, they're saying, well, we're backing this team because we think the market's got it wrong. So at that point, we'll then adjust our prices and we'll actively try to get some money out of the other side to somewhat balance the books, as you were sort of saying. But even to take it a step further, if we go... You know, from a dollar ninety pick them to one eighty two dollars to try to lay the opposing side. In one sense, it's to balance the book by getting some money the other way. But if we don't get uh, sharp action coming back the other way, then we'll leave the price out there to actually try to get the liability onto the other side to to yeah shade the team as you sort of pointed out. Depending on on firstly our opinion and secondly the the opinion of the people in the marketplace we respect. How much has that changed or developed or even evolved over the last let's say ten years with you know, the example you mentioned earlier where you might take $20,000 bets earlier in the week on a potentially stale line and you probably got killed on some of that to now where there's so much information, you can even go up to 100000 on the Masters, you know, per account or per person betting with you. Has that changed too much or is it getting trickier or easier for you in the in more recent years? Oh, there's certainly a lot more information out there in the marketplace, which is great. It's great for the punters. It's, it's great for us because it enables the prices to be, to be sharper. <clears throat> the problem is, or the reality, I suppose, compared to what the market was like 10, 15 years ago, and, and I certainly don't, uh, I, I still don't think it was a good decision in hindsight, the bets we were taking back in those days, but you can certainly feel much more confident even five, six years ago taking a, a 5,000 bet on a Wednesday uh, from a sharper punter because you knew the market was at least accurate. Uh, now the, the lines are going up and <clears throat> on Mondays, Tuesdays before teams and you know, some of the, the places that are setting the lines aren't taking massive bets. So, you know, the, and sometimes there can be some sort of money set back the other way to sort of manipulate the market as well, I guess. So certainly early in the piece, we definitely don't try to get as involved as what we did in, in years gone by. Um, basically for us, the whole premise is to try to... Um, work out where the money's sort of heading to in that early piece. And then once we get to the, the last hour of betting in a footy game when all the teams are confirmed and there's no sort of external factors or in a horse race in the last five, ten minutes when the market's solid, then that's when we really open our shoulders and we and we really take on all comers at that point. But it's certainly changed in that sense that in the, um, you know, the, the earlier period, you just have to be a lot more careful because there's a lot less ways you can manage your portfolio and also the markets are just moving a lot harder than what they did in years gone by too like it's not uncommon for an AFL line to shift 10 15 points and um and 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 yet you don't want to be caught taking a significant liability at the opening line and then it jumping 10 15 points higher because you know you're you're you know world of hurt there how have sharper prices or you know the more efficient markets now especially very close to to closing time or within an hour of of kickoff or tip off or whatever it might be impact your business model because it seems like you're pretty comfortable taking on a lot more money from those sharper type players do you think it's it's easier to do that in a world with more efficient overall markets yeah definitely like uh, you know you, you you just have to be aware of you know where the 
the, the big money is. Like, uh, you know, if, if it's an American bet, if, you know, we, we obviously keep an eye out on some of the bigger operators overseas. If it's a European soccer game, you, you've got Betfair to relate to. So it, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot easier to take on the sharper punters late. But by the same token, you've got to be aware that those sharper punters are also shopping around trying to get the best price they can get too. So you've still got to be very much onto your market price and, and it's just a constant case of just trying to be on top of everything and, and, um, and managing it to the best of your ability. And what about if it's three minutes before a game's about to start and you're about to get killed on one side, let's say, are you mm-hmm. able to or do you partake in trying to lay some off or at least balance things a little bit? Yeah, we do. The, the, the options have become limited, but we, we certainly have um, abilities to manage uh, to, to manage our liability with a few different bookmakers and, and also Betfair is very good from that point of view as well. But um, we also then have the ability to then push the side out opposing that. And obviously in the last three minutes, you're unlikely to generate a big bet. But if you are to take a big bet late, then you're also probably going to uh, be taking a bet that's within the means that you're that you're comfortable with too. So yeah, I suppose to answer your question, we do lay off and it's something we do, um, you know, do a lot, but as, as well, as much as that's getting more difficult to do with the way the landscape's changing, we're comfortable in, in how we handle things in the last half an hour. What's the most valuable resource for you and your traders? Is it just monitoring those large bets that come from the sharper players that you have, or is it monitoring other markets, whether it be exchanges or, or local international books for American sports, let's say? Yeah, it's a combination of a whole heap of things. So we utilise as much of the new service as we can, whether that be Twitter, because the whole thing is if you're just monitoring other markets, then you're reacting to, to the things that have already taken place. You want to try to, in the position we are where we get a lot of the sharp punters, we've got to try to be proactive as much as we can. So <clears throat> it's trying to monitor those news releases that are coming through that might preempt someone doing something. And then, yeah, it's being aware of the sharp punters and knowing their trends and then just trying to get in front of the market as best as we can. But yeah, the, the exchanges are great. The big bookies overseas are great. And, and I think conversely, they also utilise our um, product offering uh, for some of the local sports as well. So tell me about the average bet size over the last 10 years. Has it changed much? I know you mentioned earlier the, the 20K bets that might have come in a couple of days out. Um, what's it like these days? Because not often do you get to talk to someone like yourself who's obviously got behind-the-counter experience and can discuss it over a longer period. But has that diminished a fair bit? It seems like there's a lot of pessimism generally about these types of things. But is that actually the case? Or can you still get a fifty, seventy-five hundred thousand dollars $100,000 bet down on a side 10 minutes before a game starts, for example? Yeah, well, that's sort of a... You know, it's it, there's a there's a few layers to that question. So basically, I would imagine our bet size, our average bet size, would easily be the largest in the Australian marketplace. And that's not to say we do more business than everyone else. It's just that we've got a much larger professional client base than than most of the other corporates out there, or than all of the other corporates out there. That's something that has come down over the years. Like um, we our, our average bet size would still be in triple figures, where I know a lot of the other corporates are maybe $10, $20. And that's not to say our limits have changed drastically. It's just that we're lucky enough to have been able to pick up a few more of the, the smaller type clients that are um, you know, a higher margin. But we still actively take on the bigger players. Um, where you ask the question about a 50, 7,500k bet 10 minutes out, if, if, if a client's a regular punter and betting in those figures, then we've got no issues taking that. We you know, on a cricket game or an AFL game, we regularly take two, 300 
$500,000 bets um, if the scenario is right. So it all just comes down to when the bet's placed, if it's, a, if it's something that's a consistent type thing, like it doesn't, you don't have to be a massive loser to get those bets on in, in the right time frame, but you need to, it needs to be something that we're able to sort of manage and, 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 and ensure that our liability isn't, uh, isn't massively exceeded and we just have a number of variables that come in, but we, we'd have the largest, uh, the largest group of professional and large size clients playing with us, certainly in this marketplace, I'd imagine. Philosophically, how do you feel a bit about this type of approach? Obviously, you're pretty comfortable with it, but is it riskier given any one of these potential, you know, very large bettors could take you out in, in theory, or is it comforting knowing that you have most of the sharper action and you can essentially see a lot of the opinions of a lot of the people that matter? Uh, it, it, it's, I'd say it's exciting. Like it's, uh, it, it's something where we, we back the, back our ability. We back our ability to set the prices. We have a number of resources to use from like the sharper punters, as you say. And a, and a big punter can't get on a winning run. They, they have many, many times, but we also have the ability to manage it in ways that, um, you know, we'll still keep the, the, the punter happy, but, you know, we'll just make sure we bet to our limits. And, and I suppose, you know, the numbers are quite big to fly around, but as long as we handle, handle the events within the parameters we have internally, whether that be our maximum stand, you know, the, the reason, reasoning for taking the large bets, then... It doesn't matter if we lose five, ten games in a row at a larger level. As long as we've followed all of our protocol, then you, know, you don't get nervous. And, and, and then if, if, you need to, if you need to make a change, then you go and do it. But um, I guess it's just from our point of view, just making sure we handle everything correctly internally and, and then let, let, letting, the, letting the processes that has worked for 15 years sort of run its, run its course. So I've heard you have a rather unique... Uh interaction i suppose with some of your customers and your client base and treat them very differently to the typical experience they might get with other corporate bookmakers what's the rationale behind that and i've heard different stories i'm not sure if you want to share any on here about some of the things you might be doing to essentially work together in some instances to make sure that um i guess generally the market is better off yeah well um we we have a great relationship with all the professional punters and i think they understand that, and I think that the the professional type partners understand that we are a pretty important spot in the uh, the wagering landscape in Australia. So, even though they obviously want to try to beat us and they want to try to maximise their return against us, they want to do it in a fair way. So, I guess maybe some other bookmakers, if they had a had a price up incorrect or or whatever, hunters might go and try to uh, take advantage of that. And, and I guess that there, there is certainly a lot of punters out there that will try to do that to us. But for that core group of real professional type punters, it's not uncommon for someone to ring us up and, and say, look, I think you might have this in error. Even that doesn't happen a hell of a lot. We, we try to be on top of that. Or if, if they notice we've left an event up after jump time instead of sending a bet through, they'll, they'll give us a call. So I, I think they understand where we're positioned in the marketplace. We don't have the team the size of the sports bets of the world, even though the guys that work for us do a great job. There's obviously a lot of things we're trying to do to compete with the bigger companies that we don't have the resources that they have at their disposal. And I think the other key thing is that um, I'm sure you've heard the terminology bowler and for the, 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 the listeners out there, that's obviously when you know someone places a bet in someone else's name. But we're lucky that we've got great relationship with all of these big punters that, in my mind, they're, they're never going to try to do that to us because they, they know that they're, they're going to get a fair bet in their own name and then we obviously you know, use that information to 
to sharpen our prices, manage the book and, and, and allow them to continue betting with us at these levels on an ongoing basis. So that's something we're pretty key on. We'd rather the, the smart punters come through the front door to us than you know, people come to us from behind and, and, and take advantage of it and you don't realise at the time. So, um, yeah, we've got it. We've had punters betting with us for 10, 15 years and, you know, the relationship's phenomenal, uh, whether they're winning punters or losing punters. And, and I don't think there's many other corporates that have that personal relationship with them um, in that sense. Was that a concerted effort or did that sort of just organically happen over time? Because I'm imagining, if nothing else, it's a... It alleviates a massive administrative headache for you, among other things. Yeah, it's sort of a little bit organic and a little bit, um, you know, and, and it is by design. Like, I suppose it started organically that, again, it goes back to the, the case we've got that, you know, more old school type value set um, where if someone comes up and has a bet, you, you, you want to let them on for something. And and then it's grown from a point where now it's a point of difference to us and, um and, uh, and, and, yeah, it's just about being fair. Like, as I said at the outset, we, we want to make sure that in anything we do, we're fair. And, and I think if it's a two-way street in, in, in most elements of society. If you're fair to someone, they're generally going to try to do the right thing by you, where I think the industry's changed in some sense where maybe an element of that fairness has been removed and it might have been removed in a two-way sort of fashion too. So um, I think we're lucky in that sense, and I think maybe the punters are lucky as well uh, in, in how we how we how we've adopted that attitude so tell me about live betting i know in australia it's it's incredibly difficult compared to other parts of the world but i'm sure you've looked at it i'm sure you probably monitor markets throughout games i'm sure you've you know thought about what it might be in a different scenario but how do you feel about the future of live betting if it comes and what type of impact it might have on your business uh we we do do live betting but for us it's a it's a lot smaller than many of the overseas operators because every bet has to be phone through, uh, which is obviously, particularly for a business in our size, it's quite labour intensive. Um, and if that could be legalised and, and opened up so clients could bet online, then it, it would be a big thing. And um, and we have all our systems in place which would enable that to happen you know, immediately. But uh, we we only started offering live betting probably 18 months ago. And, um, and it's been one of the things that has pushed our business forward because it was just one of those gaping holes that we didn't have that most of the other competitors did. So even though it's it's nowhere near as big as the big European <clears throat> operators um, or, or your betfairs and the like are able to, to offer it, it, it's another service. And, yeah, I'd love to see it um, to be legalised online uh, and, and I think it'd be great for the industry as a whole. So the industry's relied on or it's been prominent with promotions and rewards and these type of things... Do you think that's the path that's going to head down now or do you think there's been a, a fair bit of consolidation where there might be some settling in and, and less of that going forward? It's hard to say. There's, there's, a, new, um, there, there's a new legislation that, that's coming into play and some elements have, have already come into play, which is uh, all to do with the responsible gambling side of things. And, and there's a definite change going to occur at the end of May where the promotions are no longer able to be advertised, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, so it'll be interesting how the whole market reacts to that point. We've never really offered a hell of a lot of promos, you know, the Mickey Mouse sort of promos that everyone else does. We, we prefer to service our clients on a <clears throat> on a long-term basis and reward them with higher limits and, and better pricing. That, that's how we've always offered. And as a result, we have that larger, you know, bet size on the back of that. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what the the, the bigger corporates do come June. Um, 
and, and it's really difficult for me to know what their, their intent is. And I think it's going to be a case of uh, seeing who blinks first and seeing how everyone attacks it in, in a different way. So do you have many real competitors or do you think it would change your business if you did have two, three, four other top sports in, in this space? Uh, I, I don't think it would change our business. I, I think I think it would be great for the industry if there were two, three, four top sports out there, to be honest. I, I think I think what we do for the industry is great because it, it keeps the prices solid and, um, and, and it enables punters to get set. And I, I think that's important. It, it keeps the money in Australia. Uh, so I'd love to see more bookmakers take an approach that we do, but it's a big shift from where a lot of them are currently at and, you know, it's probably with all their shareholders, it probably isn't something that's likely and probably something they don't want to do. So I, I, it wouldn't have any major effect on us either way, I don't think. And what about down the line in the next 18 months? Do you see any huge new innovations coming along? Do you think there's things that might drastically change how you offer your products and services or do you think you guys are pretty steady and stable in this space and, and your business model will continue to work you know, within itself? No, we're, we're definitely making some big changes. We've already started them. We, um, we only did one marketing campaign a number of years ago and our business grew nine times on the back of that. Uh, unfortunately, we found out we didn't have the core group of products to enable the, the, the new clientele we brought in to, to stay with us. We were lacking an app. We didn't have live betting. Uh, we were missing a few different uh, products that clients were used to from their previous bookmakers. So once they had utilised the the offering we promoted, they went back to where they'd been betting previously. So we, we've gone away and we've worked, we've identified what those issues are. We've released our app. We're offering live, as I sort of mentioned. We've just recently uh, released our rewards program and we've got another number of um, other exciting products coming, like an odds boost, cash out, top sport card. And none of these are revolutionary. They're all in line with what's already out there in the marketplace. But um, we know that that's all we're lacking at the moment in terms of getting the everyday punter is, is the consistent uh, product range that they're, they're expecting uh, at some of, the, uh, some of the other bigger corporates. So once we've got those in place, then we're actively going to go out there and try to grow our brand. We're still going to maintain our values that we've always had. We're not going to uh, all of a sudden turn into one of the other corporates, like you sort of said, where we're going to start closing accounts down and severely limiting punters. So that, that's going to be the challenge of trying to maintain our small business values as we grow but i'm confident we've done that many times we've evolved many times over the past 10 or 15 years that i'm pretty excited about what the next 18 months have and and i think there's a real opening in the industry despite all the challenges that are with all the the fees and the the new taxes that are coming in i think we have got the ability to be able to uh, survive and get through it all especially when the way businesses are going to be able to promote themselves over the next two or three months is not going to be on the Mickey Mouse promos as I see it. It's going to be basing, basically promoting your core product range. And I don't think there's many people that can do that better than what we can. Uh, we can promote big limits. We can manage big limits to anyone. We've done it to the sharpest group of clients for 10, 15 years. It shouldn't be that difficult to, to grow that even further when we get a larger group of clients where in theory you're going to be laying many different options uh, along the way. That must present a few different challenges. Have you thought through... Often people will say, you know, it's easy to do what Bookmega X does. They limit smarter players. They spend all their money on marketing. They're just a marketing business and a branding exercise. If you're going to go down that path, and I'm not saying that's true or not, I think it's 
it seems like a difficult exercise to be multiple things to multiple different client bases all at the same time. Are you going to have to grow the team or change your approach at all to accommodate every different segment of the business? Yeah, we are going to have to evolve and we're going to have to do different things to grow and and and, and, and that's something we're aware of. We, we've put a number of things in place to ensure that we are ready to go and we're still doing that. We've still got to evolve and make changes along the way and but I think one thing we are going to do is make sure any new product we release is sustainable. Um, and it's sustainable so that we'll be able to offer it to every one of our clients, where I think that's what some of the bigger operators do. They offer a promo and only give it to a certain group of clients. We're not going to go out there and try to compete with them head on in that um, facet, but we're going to give some reason or uh, for, for members to give us a try. And then I'm sure once they once they test it out, they'll, they'll be very happy. And, and we're just going to have... like We've always been... We've always had the ability with um, to be able to move quickly on on changes of decisions, and, and that's something we're, we're just going to have to, as we move along, like we already have in the last two or three months, we're going to have to see the potential challenges ahead of us and react to them and try to be uh, proactive as opposed to reactive. So. so if you don't mind, can you take us behind the curtain on how you think about things, how you approach things, and we can go with the masters, which you, you mentioned before. Pre-match betting, or, or you know, futures betting, or whatever you want to call it, prior to the start of the first round, what are you trying to achieve at that point? And take us through sort of you and your trading teams approached before the the rounds have even started. Yeah, so before the round started, we obviously had our primary market up, which was the outright winner, um, and that market to me is in a, in a big tournament like the Masters. Uh, it's it's so solid. You, you know, the, the Betfair's obviously got a very good foundation of the price, so you're comfortable taking large wages. Even though we didn't lay off any of the bets we took, we were comfortable every bet we took that we knew it was in the ballpark price-wise. So we basically made a conscious effort at the start of the tournament that we want to be aggressive on this event. Um, we felt it was a very open tournament. There were a number of chances, and we thought we'd lay a lot of different runners. So we actually noticed early in the week that uh, someone popped up on Twitter about how unaggressive the the market prices were in, in the Australian marketplace on the Masters. And there were some bookies betting over 200%. The bulk of them were in the 160% market, and we were in the low 120 So we utilised this to our advantage, and we sort of promoted that, and, and we made a guarantee to any member out there, that didn't matter who you were, that we'd guarantee to take a bet uh, to win at least 100000 um, that was that, that's something that's, that's not new to us. We, we've always taken bets that big on big golf tournaments, but I don't think many people out there in the marketplace were aware of this. So we just wanted to, just on a small basis, we didn't actively advertise it. We just did a couple of little tweets, and it had a massive impact for us. We got a lot of bets, and unfortunately, <clears throat> from a betting point of view, the, uh, the 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 most heavily backed runner in the field won. But from a sports fan point of view, it was brilliant to see. So uh, from the outright point of view, that was our goal. And then over the past 12 months, we've really, our team's really focused on trying to offer a larger range of markets, probably what we had previously. So that was something we wanted to have our product range, you know, very, very much competitive with everyone else out there. I think we had a lot of offering that most of the others didn't have. And we got a lot of smaller type bets, people wanting to play the exotics, which was, um, which was yeah, a really, really good result. As I said, profitability wise, it wasn't, it wasn't what we ideally wanted, but it was, um, it was a really, really good uh, result in terms of number of bets and, and just the way that we can see when we do come to promote the business, how, how we can sort of be received in the marketplace. And if people just want to get a bet on, then they, they know where the place. So when you say 
aggressive? Were you basically, if Tiger, Rory, or Spieth win, plus a few, you know, outsiders that got a few nibbles, they're bad results, and then most of them in the middle, maybe, you know, some Jason Day and Adam Scott, bad results, but the rest are pretty decent for you? Or how does it usually play out in these types of major events with the big names going around, whether it's cricket, tennis, um, you know, any of these major sporting events? Yeah, so generally you'll you'll run into the fan favourite. Um, golfers, for example, if we're talking about the Masters, so Tiger's always well supported when he's on song, and I'd imagine he will be now for the next couple of years. And then obviously your Australian golfers, <clears throat> you get a lot of the sentiment out here. And then people that are in form, we actually didn't lay Rory that well. I think he might have been a touch underpriced uh, from our client basis point of view anyway. And then, yeah, we, we laid a few roughies. So I think when the tournament started, we might have had probably 10 to 15 losers in the book, a couple of ordinary ones, and then a few sort of chop-out results. And then, then we had um, you know, the rest of the field that were, that were decent outcomes for us. Uh, and then obviously as the tournament progresses and you start getting betting day by day, then a few of them fall by the wayside and people load up on, <clears throat> on additional runners once, once they're either original bets looking good or their original bets are, are battling, they'll, 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 they'll come again and either try to play up their winnings or, or, or save on the potential uh, winner that they think they might, might be in a good spot with or they'll, they'll come again if they feel their original bet's in trouble. And then how do you think about managing your book over the four rounds? Are you thinking about it from an overall perspective and, and betting on Jason Day at any point throughout either before it started or, or between rounds all the way to the end is one single approach or do you cut it up into pieces and, and try and look at it that way? No, we, we take the overall approach. So for us, um, as I said, Tiger was a bad result at the outcome. So we're a little bit safer on him come, you know, when he was riding contention prior to that last round, we're, we're not going to be as aggressively priced on him because our liability is up near the maximum. Everyone else, like, you know, you, you're probably then happy if you're, um, if, if one of the lesser known players, which wasn't really the case in this tournament, but if, if someone's, you know, started really well and, and they're in quite short, like traditionally that's something we like to try to lay if, 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 if they get in, we feel a bit too short in the marketplace. But because it's such a solid um, event, the prices are so accurate in, in a big event like that, you sort of just bet market price and, and push a couple a little bit, keep a couple safe that you've laid that you might have a little opinion on. Um, and, and, but, yeah, you definitely treat it as one entire book. Like that, that, that's our mentality on it anyway. And what are the swings on, you know, Molinari ahead by a couple of strokes in the fourth round or even when I think it was Cantlay hit the lead late on in the fourth round and you had some other guys, the South African Xander, Shufile, whatever his name is, was lurking. Do you have some pretty big swings? Obviously, it went the wrong way this time with Tiger, but I'm guessing it's a pretty fun exercise looking at the, the green and red books go up and down. Yeah, definitely. No, we, we do have some, some sizable swings and... and, uh, and the, the thing is, like, as long as you bet within the parameters, we were happy to, to stand that, that, that event for X and the, the, the figure was under X. So it's sort of, even though they're large swings, you've done everything you can prior to the, to the event starting. So once, as long as you've done everything from that respect and all of our traders have done the right thing, then you sort of enjoy it for what it is. It's just like any other person has a bet. You know, there is a sweat going on, but um, it's still a sporting event, a great sporting event. And for something to happen like it did last week, uh, it's phenomenal from a sporting 
uh, landscape for, for that to happen. So even though we had a bad result, <laughs> I don't think I've enjoyed a tournament as much as what I did. Uh, it was just phenomenally the amount of big names up there at the top of the leaderboard. The yeah, like Fiki Bolinari is going to win. You're going to have a good result. The South Africans, as you say, Kopka. Um, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable thing, even though we're bookmakers, because of I think just the background we've got. It's it's still something we love when when the game goes in play and you're watching a game. You you, you still uh, get enjoyment out of the ebbs and flows of everything, as, as much as even the bigger punters do as well, I suppose. So looking forward a couple of years' time, do you think you know just with general regulation staying somewhat the same, do you think sports going to continue to grow and grow and grow? Certainly for your business, or do you think there's a chance that other codes, you know, whether it's horse racing or or other things, can can take a stronger position? Uh, well, for us, horse racing's already very strong. I'd say we'd be fifty-fifty um, sport and racing, um, and I reckon probably a lot of uh, our competitors out there would probably be more heavily weighted towards racing at the moment. It's hard for me to say, but I, I think it's all contingent on what. Um, on what taxes continue to come into the landscape. Like that's where we're coming up against issues at the moment. And that's the only thing that's really stifling our growth, but we're trying our best not to pass these extra fees back onto the clients at this point. But at some point there's got to be a tipping point where you say, look, we, we need to <clears throat> you know, be successful as well. And, and, and whilst we want to maintain our fairness and we are going to do everything in our power to do that, that's going to be the issue where if fees just get to a point where they're unreasonable, uh, then that's going to have a massive impact on which direction you look to push. And and I, I sort of feel that for us, particularly, assuming nothing changes, then it'll, it will still sort of continue on a 50-50 basis. But, um, you know, the, the landscape's changing every month of the year. So you've just got to be flexible enough to change with it and, and not have, you know, blinkers on in, in knowing what you've got to do to be successful. I know there's a number of different areas that you're fending off essentially with respect to whether it's point of consumption whether it's the product fees from the sports and other general taxation let's say hypothetically that a sport said look we're going to go to zero percent tax you didn't have to deal with point of consumption and you paid what whatever's deemed to be a reasonable state or federal taxation amount what impact do you think that would have on a product for a particular sport because we're seeing it the other way with respect to something like nrl where things have changed pretty drastically in the last few weeks and months do you think bookmakers would treat it very very differently or do you think they would still have a you know a sizable over round where it might be good but not great and they would just potentially keep a little bit more for themselves um that's a tricky question because i think it depends on the bookmakers mentality like for us prior to the product fees coming into play we had much larger limits than what we do now and we have the highest limits in the marketplace now to, to the professional clients but we would have had double or triple limits five, six years ago than, than what we currently offer. And that has solely changed on the back of the product fees. So for us, definitely. Um, I, I, I'd be so supportive of, you know, trying to get the, a group of punters together, group of bookmakers together and the regulators that are making the big decisions together to sit down and just try to work out something that's uh, advantageous to all three groups. You know, like everyone needs to sort of look at the interests of the entire industry, not just their own personal sort of things they're trying to push because there is a common goal that, that we can sort of get to. And, and it's not that difficult, but it's just everyone needs to come together and actually try to sort of find a solution. And something like, you know, bringing in significant minimum bets for a much reduced 
um, product fee is something that I'd be massively supportive. I, I, I'd much rather take a, a bet off a client at a large level with the ability to know that, yeah, I, I could lose on this wager. But the thing you can't do is take the big bet and also pay the large fee to the governing body as well. So I, I know not everyone's going to be supportive of that. I know it, it, it's not going to to change uh, how some bookmakers may opera, uh, offer their, their product or their offering or their limits. So maybe it's a case of there could be a two-tiered uh, process in terms of product fees or maybe not the point of consumption because I think the issue with the point of consumption tax is that the people making the decisions potentially don't understand how it impacts all of the players. So I, I think the, the wagering bodies that do the product fees are probably our best chance of getting some common sense out of and maybe there's a two-tier approach where you've got an option of having higher minimum bet limits which are well publicised and the the rate is lower than someone that doesn't want to opt into these minimums and they can continue to do their, the thing they're currently doing but the punters at least know which bookmakers they can get set with at a large, larger level. The bookmakers have got an incentive to take a bet off, off more, um, you know, more, more sharper clients and the regulators are are probably not going to lose out on their fee because as much as their percentage will drop a touch, they'll hopefully be getting more turnover on the back of it. And the big thing which I think people seem to neglect is that the integrity will stay there. The money will stay in the in the Australian marketplace. And I think that's key because there's so much leakage at the moment, whether that be with, you know, in, in Australia, the offshore Asian exchanges, you know, some SPs as well. You know, I just think it's key that we need to make sure that this industry is strong in five, ten years. And the way it's going, things are changing. And, and, and it's it's concerning for me being someone that's loved the game for so long, someone that's been in it, even though I'm quite young. I've been in it for 15, 20 years, and I intend to be in it for another 15, 20 years. And when you see some of the changes that are, that are coming down the pike, it, it makes you a bit concerned that people are looking too much about the short-term interests and not sort of worrying about what's what's going to be in place 15, 20 years from now because at the end of the day, our game, whether it be horse racing or punting on sports, has been in place for a long time and uh, we need to try to make sure that we get to a point where it's going to be strong for, for many years to come. What are some long-term focuses for you? Are you trying to automate a lot more things so you can have, I guess, more diversity in product and more extended offerings to different market segments or what are some of the things that you'll probably look at in a you know efforts to make sure you're around for a longer period of time yeah we're, we're definitely always looking to streamline our processes uh we always still want to keep that sort of differentiation of you know in the last hour or couple of hours of footy games and racing we're very much hands-on i don't see that changing but obviously as we grow we're going to need to streamline a number of our processes that happen regularly and and, and we're continually doing that um but yeah, it, it's it's just it's just trying to find uh, avenues that enable us to grow within our means, and we don't expect to, you know, to be the next sports better labrokes in six months' time. We we don't want to be. We just want to be the next top sport uh, that's a, a bit bigger than what it was six months ago and a bit better. And, and that's all we're aiming for. We're not really worried about what everyone else is doing. We just want to, as much as as corny as it sounds, we just want to do the best we can do day in day out. And 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 as long as we sort of keep sort of ticking off the boxes we, we want to improve at and that's all that we're, we're worried about. No, it's interesting and I think it's certainly good to hear that there's a place in the industry for that given some of the other approaches out there. If you're talking directly to a non-top sport uh, account holder, let's say, what would you tell them to give you guys a try or what can they expect if they come and, and sign up? 
Yeah, well, I, I, to touch on that, I reckon if you walk down the street in Australia and you asked 100 punters, do you know top sport, they'd be lucky to be one. <laughs> and that, that's just the reality. It's nothing to be proud of. That's, that's just where we're at at the moment. Um, and I guess if I was talking to them, it's particularly if, if they're an Australian user, you know, there's not many Australian bookies out there. Like, try to keep your funds in Australia. Give us a try because I'm telling you that the range and the, the marketing and the aggression that we offer, you're not going to get much better out there in the marketplace. We don't have all the bells and whistles that some of the bigger boys have. And if you want that, then, then, then stay with it. But if you want a good service, if you want to get a good bet, if you want to be treated like a person when you ring up, then we're the, the bookmaker for you. And, and that's something where, you know, we, we, we've got a punter, it doesn't matter if they're $5 each way punter or a $50,000 punter, we've got their names in the phones when they ring up, you know, we have a good chat to them. And it's, it's something where, at the end of the day, punting's meant to be recreational for the bulk of the punters. For the people lucky enough to be professional, then they're probably already betting with us. For the people that are lucky enough to be recreational punters and enjoy it, then that's what we've got to remember, that it's an enjoyable process. When you ring up to have a bet, you want to talk to someone that's friendly, that, that is actually happy for them when they back a winner. And, and that's, um, you know, and that, that's probably what I'll, I'll be telling the people. Keep the funds in Australia and, 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 and try to get the best price you possibly can. And we're probably the outlet for both of them. No, it's very cool to hear that that still exists and will continue to exist, hopefully, for another 30 years at least. One last weird question for you, Tristan. Winks, a lot of people know the, the Australian superstar mayor. She just retired from a bookmaker's perspective. Good, bad, don't care, want more volume on Group 1s. What, what's your uh, perspective on her? I found her an amazing animal. and we, We've been lucky enough in Australia to have two phenomenal animals running around in the past you know, recent period. Obviously, Black Caviar was just before Winks and she was just as good. I don't know. I'm not going to get into argument over who's better out of those <laughs> both phenomenal horses. But for us, I suppose, the, just to give you a bit of an example, they were two vastly different commodities from our point of view. We had a big Asian punter that every time Black Caviar used to run around would have $2 million on her every time she raced. Um, that, that made wow. it a little bit less enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. So she wasn't as enjoyable for us, but we still appreciated her excellence where Winks we didn't have the large volume as much um, with her. So I guess from our point of view, whenever she raced, it almost felt as though if it was a nine-race nine card at, at, at Rose Hill, eight races were business as normal. And then that one race when she was in, because she was quite short, it was almost a bit of an intermission. And you could sit there and you could watch racing for what it's meant to be, where you're seeing a, you know, a very, very unbelievable horse do its thing. And, and betting almost became secondary because... Yeah, we, we had many people that, that took the shorts, but we also laid a few bets on the roughies, and, and we never really had any massive liability whenever she went around. Um, and so from a business point of view, uh, it was great. It always created a lot more interest on the day itself. So even though you sort of lost out on a race in terms of a group one where you might normally hold X amount and hope to make Y amount, um, even though that race sort of become, became null and void during the day, it generally made the rest of the card a bigger day. And, and from a business point of view, that was great. And then from a you know, a racing fan point of view, then, you know, oh, there's many people that have explained it better than what I have, but she was just a, just a freak. No doubt about it. Tristan, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time talking from the, the bookmaker angle, and I hope Tiger keeps winning so you guys go bankrupt and, and all the punters keep winning. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for the uh, positive vibes.